Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey, everybody, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to wish everyone a happy and healthy Thanksgiving holiday. I know that I have an incredible amount to be thankful for, to be grateful for, and I hope that you do too. And I cannot wait to do this work, the work of American democracy with you as we go into December and into the new year. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Jacqueline Westman and Angus DeRocher, the extraordinary individuals who are the engines behind the union, a pro-democracy coalition of volunteers and organizations dedicated to saving American democracy from the authoritarian attacks it currently faces. Jacqueline and Angus, thanks for joining me today. Great to be here, Reed. Thank you, Reed. So guys, I want to talk a little bit about how the union came to be, all the work that you've done this past year leading up to the midterms, what's going on down in Georgia, and then looking ahead to 2024. But before this, the folks out there have heard about you, and I have admonished many of them dozens of times to join the union. Go to jointheunion.us. But let's talk a little bit about y'all's background. So Jacqueline, let's start with you. Let's hear a little bit about how you got into politics you know, how you came to see the sort of grassroots as your direction and then how you came to really help us out with the union. I always have been an organizer at heart. I love people and being surrounded by people and talking to people. You can say I'm a people person. Community is what continues to drive me. Since, you know, I was a little girl, I feel I was always organizing some kind of event or rallying troops in some sort of way. And, you know, growing up with a single mother, we were always at some political event and I really connected and resonated with the community and really found a passion in helping others. And that's what continued my drive, always being surrounded by that energy around organizing. You know, I probably have one of the coolest jobs right now with this giant megaphone working with the union. And so we are not only working on one campaign or one candidate, but 60 plus nationwide. And so it's just really fruitful to see all the work come together. And Angus, your background is in software development. I mean, pre-internet days, I was a newspaper reporter for about five years after leaving college and kind of stumbled into building websites, which kind of one thing led to another, became a software developer starting kind of in the mid-90s in San Francisco. But I had grown up in New Hampshire and had always been interested in politics and had volunteered on campaigns since I was 12. And in 2011, a friend of a friend got named CTO of the Obama campaign, and I kind of got, for the first time, a paid gig in politics working as a software developer on the Obama reelect. And since then, I've helped out on campaigns, worked on some campaigns, and uh, kind of transitioned into that full-time, especially with the union. Well, in New Hampshire, where I think just about every borough and neighborhood has its own state representative. Two. 
Yeah, right. Politics is literally a street by street kind of business. And certainly with the first in the nation primary, it's always interesting, Angus, to go to places. I've spent a lot, not as much time in New Hampshire, but a lot of time in Iowa and places like South Carolina, where individual citizens become so attuned like barometers to whether or not a candidate like has it right. They just take one look at them. They're going, eh, I don't think so. For sure. And growing up here, half of the candidates in any given primary would swing through the town that I grew up in or stop at the high school that I went to. And we had every opportunity to grill them ourselves and find out who we actually liked as a person. And that was an important part of growing up for me and really helped develop my interest in being a part of this world. So was it about a year ago, Angus, that you and I met down in Austin, Texas, I think? Almost Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking and we'd written an op-ed after the 2020 campaign discussing what was going to come next, right? Now, that op-ed posted, I think, a few days before January 6th. So we knew it was a very unsettled time, but we didn't know how unsettled it was going to be. And we said that, you know, there was this ad hoc coalition that had come together to get Biden over the line in 20, and it was going to need to grow and expand as we went into 2022. Because as you all know, with coalitions, it's the toughest way to fight any fight. It's also the only way oftentimes to win any big fight, right? Because you have to have so many different people working. But we also said, okay, but like for us, democracy is the thing. We don't talk about policy. We're not left. We're not right. We're anything. like, this is where we are. This is where we are. And so talk about how, you know, we went from a conversation at, you know, some nameless hotel on Congress Avenue to, you know, founding the union, because I'm pretty sure that we didn't give you much more than a website to work with. It was, yeah, almost exactly a year ago down in Austin. We chatted and then we started having semi-regular Zooms. I think the big opportunity, the big inspiration for me was the chance to work with Trippy, who, you know, is really the godfather of online organizing and to be able to take all his learnings and kind of try to move it the next step forward, building a platform for engagement, building tools like the Action Center and building all of this with just passionate volunteer time and effort was just the idea of it was irresistible. And so, yeah, we started with a website, then started bringing in volunteers. We had a sign-up form. You know, one of the first volunteers we brought on, brought on all the rest of the volunteers. The next volunteer did a great redesign of the website. And it was kind of, as people signed up, we figured out what kind of skills they had and what kind of areas we could explore doing work in from a comms team to a software team to a partners team. You know, it just started growing and growing. And Jacqueline, I mean, that's one thing that completely heartened me was to see that that a conversation that Angus and I had a year ago, and I think, you know, Trippy and his team were involved because Joe obviously in so many ways invented modern political campaigning on the Dean campaign, you know, and then all of a sudden by March, you know, Peter Coyote does a voiceover for a spot for us. And now volunteers start rolling in. And I'm just like blown away. Because I think the one thing is, you know, there's that old saying, money is the mother's milk of politics. And I think that there is a case to be made for that. But the truth is, is that it is one asset among many. So give us a sense of how you saw this thing growing. And I want to talk a little bit about how things operated during the campaign. I joined the union towards the end of June, and I was working on a mayoral race down in Houston. and. I was introduced to Angus and the union by a dear friend, Megan Matson, who I've worked with in various other campaigns. And 
That's the best thing about organizing is the relationships that you build. And she had told me about the idea of what the union is, and it really just sparked a huge interest in me. It was really this grassroots movement. And we've seen now in politics that, you know, organizing from the ground up is how you get things done. And so one thing that just really inspired me was that we're all organizers and we're fire starters. And one thing about the union is folks that have joined have never been politically engaged. This perhaps was their first time volunteering. And like everyone is a highly motivated and a self-starter. And I think that has just been the success of the union thus far and the teams and relationships we are building. Yeah, I mean, Angus, you know, one thing that Jacqueline just said there is how many people have signed up to help out that weren't previously involved in politics. And that's fascinating to me. I mean, most of the folks that we have working on staff at the Lincoln Project, I should say, I'm giving them short shrift because at this point, some of them have been with us for almost three years. So they've been through as many battles and tougher battles than many people who've worked in politics for many years. But most of them did not come from like in my background, right, where I started working on campaigns, you know, when I was 18 or whatever, you know, and you sort of work your way up. But what was it, do you think, that for the individual, you know, of the 62,000 people, 63, 63,000 people that signed up so far that brought them differently from whether or not it was a local party organization or, you know, a local environmental organization or a local labor organization? What was what do you think was the draw for folks who hadn't otherwise participated like this? I mean, I think it was all about rising to the occasion. I think a lot more people realize, you know, the dire straits that our democracy was in, uh, is in, and wanted desperately to do something. And I think outside of traditional political campaigns that appeals to a certain group of people, I think a lot more people were motivated to get involved given the crazy that was going on and wanting, as Joe says, to do the work to help fight the crazy. And it was amazing to see we had tons of people from all walks of life. We had plenty of people who had been involved in campaigns in the past, but people who were taking time off from agencies that they ran who had never been involved in politics, people stepping up to do work on Twitter or software developers who had never been involved in a campaign before, just wanting to use their skills to try to affect change. You touched on earlier about the role of money in politics. And I think back in 2003, 2004, you know, Trippy was the first to really unlock the potential of the internet as an organizing tool to combat the influence of money in politics, where you can create tools to really amplify any individual's time to really expand what's possible. You know, the call tools or the text tools that we see now are, you know, seven or eight generations since then. But you know, in just an hour of time, you can contact hundreds of voters and let them know what's at stake in an election. And so, yeah, trying to bring people's time back on an equal footing with money in politics is, I think, an important goal and an important potential for the union to continue exploring. Well, and I want to get back to the tech in a second, but Jacqueline also, I mean, this is not a new thing to hear, right, is it doesn't matter what I do, my vote doesn't matter, but it's always fascinating to see. And I was just on the phone with one of our other team members earlier who said, oh, yes, yeah, someone who's contributed financially to us actually got involved and started making calls and loved it, loved it. And did you see a lot of that? Because I feel like, you know, just to use the idea of time, money, whatever, it's this 
they make an investment in their time and then suddenly like they get all this reward back. And I'm sounding almost overly simplistic, but I don't know that it needs to be more complicated. The midterms, I think, definitely prove that it will take all of us. And there's no sitting on the sidelines when it comes to organizing. It matters and candidates matter. But I think that everyone within the union, too, just thinking of the folks, is that it comes down to we will decide the future and fate of our democracy. And if it's not you, then who? And if it's not now, then when? And I think also just looking at the political landscape, I think people were eager to just help where they could at any moment, which definitely played a big role throughout the midterms. Angus, I think to that point, too, is that, you know, there's so much we always talk about polarization and the extremes and, you know, the negativity and all of that's true. Right. And, you know, there's no group that's willing to throw a punch faster or harder than the Lincoln Project. But the great thing about something like the union was it gave a positive outlet for people's energy and enthusiasm. And so let me ask you this. Do you think that making it the pro-democracy coalition, you know, some people said, oh, if it's about democracy, it's too nebulous people to understand. But my counter to that is, well, what else was a big enough idea in America to get as many people to sit under one umbrella as they did? This was one of the most amazing things I learned over the past year going through this process. Single issue pro-democracy is everything we did kind of fell back on that forward phrase. And the realization that any other issue that might have, you know, 75, 80 percent of the country agree on, you're losing 10 percent of that coalition. You know, 90, 95 percent of the country cares deeply about our democracy. And as soon as you start going off on tangents on tax policy or gun control, you peel off support. So as long as we focus on the importance of preserving our democracy, then we have a lot of allies and our democracy is still under threat. And so we'll keep doing the work singularly focused on preserving it. So let's talk a little bit about this past cycle, 2022. Jacqueline, I went out and I think I hit most states. I think I missed Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. So I didn't hit most states. I hit a lot of states and was always, again, very flattered and humbled by how many people, how many different groups and the leaders of these groups that we sat down with. Also a little bit concerned, candidly, that there were so many groups who they themselves were doing such incredible work, but often understaffed, underfunded. A little bit concerned about sort of the ground game for the pro-democracy movement in the context of an old Republican, seeing that as the Democratic Party. But give the listeners a little bit of sense of the types of folks you saw out there who had been working on this stuff, who joined us, and what you saw out there from the field. Yes. Yeah, so... We worked with some of our partner organizations that did absolutely tremendous work out there and really honed in on messaging and organizing. In Nevada, we worked with Nevada Democratic Victory and Plan Action. And Arizona was Mission for Arizona, Michigan Dems, Turn Pennsylvania Blue. And the list definitely goes on. But what we saw on the ground and working virtually was that they were about community and showing up where most people are often left behind. They're investing in these communities and people year round. And so with some of these coordinated campaigns and organizations, they developed this statewide plan, but it was about really honing in on 
the community on the ground and trying to turn out those voters. Was there anything that surprised you while you were out there? It was surprising to see kind of the lack of democratic infrastructure in some of these counties and states and cities. And it was these coordinated campaigns that were able to come in and help leverage voter engagement and outreach. Sometimes within these democratic parties and establishments, you see a trend that the voter outreach is only like months before election year. And there isn't that trust amongst the community members. And so a lot of them get surprised as why you're at their door weeks out before election and then are surprised to see you at their door because they've actually, you know, have never had a canvasser, you know, engage with them. And so I think just seeing that lack of that infrastructure is a big opportunity that is within the union too, that we can totally come in and help build as we move forward. Well, and you know, I mean, Angus, Jacqueline and I were out in Nevada, what, a couple of weekends, Jacqueline, before Election Day. And that was the one thing. I mean, we were, we were in some pretty tough neighborhoods, candidly. And I would say it was amazing to see Jacqueline, Maya May, and her mom were out with us. Our Nevada state lead, Lana, was with us. And it was so great to see actual people say, okay, I'm not going to vote. Okay, now I am. Or one guy I was at the door with who's like, they're all crooks. They're all crooks. I'm like, look, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm just saying, like, don't sit it out. And he went from, I'm not going to vote to, okay, I'll take one more look at my ballot. Right? Like, great. I'll take it. And it had been, Angus, 20 years (laughs) since I was out on the streets. And I could tell you, like, Jacqueline and the crew, like, they're pros, right? Like, they know exactly how to do it. But it was great to see everybody out there and to see that it can make a difference. But to Jacqueline's point that so often we see that A lot of these organizations, as I mentioned, they're under-resourced both in bodies and finances, and they can only do what they can do when they can do it, when they can afford to, which is typically in the weeks leading up to a campaign. But now as we get into 2023 and 2024, we know Election Day 2022, good day, good day for democracy, but the fight is far from over. So how do you start to take something like the union and the tens of thousands of people involved and say, we got to keep at it? because you don't want to burn people out, but how do you go from the crucible and excitement and intensity of that campaign to saying, okay, it's just another two years, guys. There's a lot that's going to happen over the, over the next two years, and I think we can have a role building tools for people who are interested in playing a part in their municipal elections. I know we all have heard stories about different organizations, election deniers, and folks running for school board for local office that we want to empower people who want to take a stand against that. Going back to what you were saying about having the face-to-face conversations, I think this ties back to time versus money in politics. You can have, and you guys are the best in the world at it, million-dollar TV ads that reach a lot of people, but it's a TV ad. If you had millions of people knocking on doors, talking to their neighbors, having conversations about the threats to our democracy. I think that can be a ton more effective and facilitating that and getting people who have never gone and knocked on doors, I think is one of the things we want to continue to improve and continue to facilitate. And hopefully we can get all y'all who haven't knocked doors in 20 years out knocking on doors for municipal elections coming up and especially for the presidential in a couple of years. You know, Angus, you probably live in a pretty small community. I do, too. It's interesting to see how a school board election, even prior to the insanity we've seen this year, 
can get pretty intense, <laughs> you know, because now it's like neighbor on neighbor. Everybody knows each other. Their kids go to school with each other. Oh, yeah, I went to that guy's Christmas party last year. And suddenly now it's, oh, they're deciding on my kid's education. They're on the city council. They're on the county commission. And now suddenly someone is imbued with the authority of having been elected to something. And there's a difference that comes with that. But I wonder, too, if there's something to not only helping people get elected when they choose to do that, but maybe also, Jacqueline, you'd probably have some thoughts on this, too, is convincing people of the need to actually run for office, because these are the places where people's lives are actually affected. Yes. What I loved, too, about the union is that we witness daily so many of our members and volunteers get out of their comfort zone and try new things they've never done before and take on a task that was never a no. And I think that's something to credit our success and the movement that we are building. And I know that some folks are now empowered to become these state leads. We now have 30 state leads and we are looking to fill every role in each state. And some of them before um, have you know never done this before, but I think of Janelle, who is in Arizona, who has done some really incredible work within Arizona. but. We have talked about, oh, what's the next thing in her role and running for office was something that she not necessarily said wanted to do, but it was a conversation that was started. And so seeing some of these people, I think it is a big opportunity too. All right, guys. So let's talk about the next two years. It'll be here before we know it. And so Angus, as we sit here after Election Day 2022, whether we any of us wanted it to or not, and I don't think many of us wanted it to, the 2024 cycle has begun. And there's a lot of work to do out there and a lot of recruitment to do out there. So where does the union go from here? Immediately, I think as soon as the Georgia runoff is over, I think we all take a nap. And then we get to plotting and planning and organizing, strategizing. We've already started our kind of postmortem process. This happened so quickly over the past year. We all talk about building the rocket ship while it's taking off. Now, hopefully, we can have some time to take a look at what worked, what the obvious areas of improvement are, what the unrealized potentials are, and start building towards that. Jacqueline touched on building out our state teams to the 20 states where we don't currently have coverage. We've talked about giving people tools to help protect democracy in municipal races. As we get to the presidential, I don't know if you can hear my voice shaking a little bit as we start talking <laughs> about the presidential already, but you know, it would be great to have 10 times as many partners as we have and really deep dive with them into figuring out how we can help them with the pieces that they need, connect them with other of our partners. Uh, I think actually a great document that came out after the last Georgia special elections two years ago was the Georgia way that was a postmortem of those campaigns that really talked about the benefit of communication amongst a bunch of different organizations that played a role in those election in that election. And I think that's something we can build on. We have amazing partners and amazing relationships with our partners, but I think we just scratched the surface this cycle about what we can do together. And I think there's so much potential there. That's one of the things I'm most excited about. Well, and Jacqueline, it's got to be you know encouraging too because. Much like in life, especially in politics, right, and in coalitions, right, nobody wants to be told what to do. You're bossing me around. So it must be encouraging to see, you know, with more than 70 organizations that we partner with, 
that there has been this understanding that sort of it's all for one, one for all. Yes. It goes back to the single issue pro-democracy. We are laying down this foundation and we like to call this chapter one. And so back to what comes next is we are mobilizing daily and we have to widen our supporter base. And that's what we're doing. We're being very loud about democracy and we will continue. And the opportunities are endless. And it's beyond just this one election or the next. We're organizing for the long haul because this is far from over. But we have to ensure that we're committed and we have dedicated volunteers and new members. And so the more we're able to expand to more states, then we're able to then take on additional challenges and spread the word. And so that's what we look forward to as well. All right. So as we wrap up here, Jacqueline, where can folks get involved in the union? Go to jointheunion.us, check out our action center. We are 19 days away to a runoff in Georgia, and we'll be heading there for a weekend of action. You're able to do virtual events, phone bank, text bank, write some postcards, and then join us on the ground as we talk to voters face-to-face and have those important conversations to rally them back to the polls. That's right. Rally them back to the polls. Well, Jacqueline, where can our listeners, if they can, find you online? You can find me on Twitter at J.A. Westman. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Join the Union US. All right. And Angus, I don't think you're on social media, which is why you're the smartest of the bunch. (laughs) I keep a low profile there. You keep a low profile as well. You should. Uh, And always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen. Check out all of my pro-union videos that I do religiously at Jacqueline's insistence and direction on a regular basis. And you can find me on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. As they like to say, it will take all of us. Jacqueline Angus, thank you for joining me today and everybody else. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, To join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. Also, be sure to check out our growing LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, and Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Monday at noon Eastern. Plus, we'd love you to check out our newest show, The Game We're In, with Maya May and Trigby Olson, which airs Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.